0: The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts.
1: Hello, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to the club, Telegraph Audio Football Club. Goals galore in the Premier League this weekend everywhere except the game we expected to have at least seven. We'll explore the inconclusive Liverpool vs Manchester City game, the potential redemption story at Man United, and the emergence of a new power in North London. Yes, it's Unai Emery's Arsenal globetrotters. Plus, a trip down to the Championship, across the channel into continental Europe and around the entire globe as we gear up for the always scintillating international break. But first, it's Mystery Player. Give me the silly music. Thank you very much. Each week we will begin with a footballer giving some mysterious clues about who they are and will tell you at the end of the podcast. Your prize is a nice warm feeling inside your soul. Here is our mystery player.
2: Hello. In my career, I played over 380 times for one club and in the status of cult hero in the Telegraph writer Jeremy Wilson's book on this team. The highlight from my career is scoring my only goal against Leicester City in 1997.
1: You have a think now and stick around until the end of the podcast to find out who it is. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by Mr Football News. It's Matt Law. How are you, Matt? Hi, Good. Good. Excellent. Short and sharp. As ever, to his left, it's Mus European football, Mina Rizuki. How was your weekend, Mina?
0: Oh, it's so nice to be in London. It was amazing.
1: Yes, yes. A better city than Turin, I think we can all agree. Completing the AFC Telegraph lineup, it's Dr Tactics himself, JJ Ball. What's happening, JJ?
3: I've come with a PhD of knowledge to... I don't know. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: are you? Yeah, good, yeah. Yeah. I'm all right. I'm, I, I have a new shower gel and I'm worried it's made me too fragrant. What is it? It's got some sort of berry in it and I, I can sort of smell it on myself and I'm really concerned.
3: Interesting. Uh, yeah,
1: so if there's a sort of weird atmosphere for the next 45 minutes or so, that's why. We won't often be starting with a nil or draw on the AFC Telegraph, but that is where we will begin today for Liverpool versus Manchester City. The title won't be won in these head-to-head games between the two. So does it make sense that both sort of played a little bit with caution in this match? They, were, they both seemed like they were aiming not to lose. I don't know whether it made
2: sense, really. I mean, given that nothing is actually riding on it in terms of being decisive, it's not like it's in April. I'd have thought there'd be more sense in someone really going for it and risking losing. I could understand it more if it was in March or April. And if you lose, you've only got some kind of four or five games to make it back. I was surprised Liverpool, unless I'm missing something, dropped Trent Alexander-Arnold and put Joe Gomez there. That's in quite a defensive move, as good as Joe Gomez has been. Trent Alexander-Arnold offers them a lot more going forward, so that felt like defensive. Pep, who before the game said he wouldn't try and shut the game down because that would be boring, moved more to a kind of 4-2-3-1. I don't want to step on your tactic shoes, JJ. <laughs> but he felt as though he approached it more defensively. I found it really boring, actually. I was really disappointed with it.
0: it is it because it was 0-0? Oh,
2: you and your Italian football, yeah. <laughs> It was essentially because it was nil-nil and there wasn't a shot on target for about 50, 60 minutes or something. Did you
0: not
1: find it boring, Mina?
0: No, I thought it was interesting how both of them approached the game, to be honest. I've always sort of come out against Pep in certain matches in which I think that he should seek balance and perhaps should take account of the opponent. And I think he actually did that this time. So I was really happy with that. He addressed the fact that Liverpool are very direct and... You know, they'll counter-attack and their their pace and their trident going forward. And he just basically tried to take the zing out of the game, always got back in numbers, uh, stopped them really having the space to operate in. And uh, obviously it helps that, that Liverpool aren't in great form. You see, the beauty of club is that he has this wonderful planning. And when it's at work, which is the direct, rock and roll, let's go forward, let's give it our all. It's really amazing to watch. My issue with him is always that he's never really had a plan B. But his planning was so good that you never needed that. But on this occasion and and really recently, I don't know whether it was pragmatic in which, go for it because I love pragmatic football. But there's a part of me that just feels like they're just not there on an intensity level. And perhaps that gifted City the opportunity to just walk away with a point. Do we think partly because
1: it was a full strength team in the week in the defeat to Napoli in the Champions League?
0: Well, people keep saying that. Like, you know, is it a case of, you know, if you focus on one over the other? But, I mean, they reached the final and they played great football all of last season. So I know that this is after the World Cup and people are very tired. And this is obviously like you're seeing that in different teams around the world, from Real Madrid to Bayern and et cetera. But I don't think it's that. I There is, what's interesting is even the front line. You know, it's not like Firmino is exhausted from his World Cup exploits or Sadio Mane is, but they're not pressing the way that they usually do there's something missing and I don't know whether it's because he's trying to get them to be more balanced that, that he's taken off that ability to press on the accelerator and go gung-ho, but I don't know.
1: Two big mistakes towards the end of the game. JJ, uh, Virgil van Dyke sliding in to give away the penalty and Riyad Mahrez for taking the penalty extremely badly. Can you explain what's going on with either of those players there?
3: Coolie van Dijk is just trying to chase... A- Player who's much faster than him, and he can't quite get there, and he goes in with the tackle and takes him down. I don't think it's a huge mistake; it just happens. It's an error of judgment, isn't it, to make that uh, tackle? a slight one? But I mean, he's Sani could go past him. He's Sané; he's mental. He's too quick. Um, and Marez's penalty put into outer space. I thought this game was fascinating. I, I knew you'd have liked it, uh, Mina. I can't obviously you can't see me pointing on a podcast, <laughs> and I I, I was I suspected that you would not find it particularly good, Matt. I thought it was so interesting how they approached it. It was so unlike Guardiola to go and try and control the game. So, the way he set up, it starts as a four in defence, but it becomes a three um, with Walker, the right side of centre back. So, it's like a 3 3, 3 1, the striker with three behind him. And the whole point is to try and control the game. They only had 51% possession, which is the lowest I think he's probably ever had as a manager. He has to come into it this way because uh, he has won just one of his last eight managerial meetings with Jurgen Klopp in all competitions. I'm not reading that, I am. And they, uh, <laughs> but that's the thing, so they lost these important games last season and this is a huge match between the two big title contenders. You can't lose it. They very nearly won it. They should have had a penalty when Aguero went down, I think, and they should have scored the one that they missed at the end and they would have come away with three points. That would have been an amazing result. And the way that that Man City played, so their build-up play was exactly the same, playing out from the back with a goalkeeper. However, they had another midfielder drop deep, so Liverpool couldn't do their same high-pressing thing and mark Fernandinho out of the game. So there was always an out-ball, which was Bernardo Silva, so they couldn't do that. So Liverpool dropped slightly further back, which meant that they had more of a mid-block than a high-press, which meant that they couldn't play in the same way they wanted to. And the thing that Guardiola said at the end of the game is that if you play any sort of open game at Anfield, you get killed. He's dead right, because they are the best team, I think I remember seeing, in transition. So as soon as the ball's loose, there's a second ball, they win it and they're quick, 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 up to the other end and that's how they create their chances.
1: Certainly tees up the rest of the season quite nicely, doesn't it? Uh, not knowing which
3: it's of quite, these... Because yeah. they're nil you don't know who's better at the moment, out of them. So it kind of leaves it...
0: I don't know if I this like was that. the real Liverpool report in my opinion.
3: You reckon? Well, again, it could be from Klopp is that because he played those players midweek and they might have a bit of uh, fatigue, you know, they'll be at 96% rather than 100 <laughs> I mean that's but very full manager. the
0: moment in which I thought yeah this is Liverpool. this is the rock and roll football. I just thought they were quite tame in their
2: We've been praising them a bit for that though haven't we? I mean they yeah. when yeah. they were winning games we we're praising them for not being Liverpool. No, no, and I think
0: it's the right strategy except against City. Because City the only thing that devastates them is that. Yeah. So it, it in my in my I think that Liverpool should always play this pragmatic and composed football. But when you know with City the only thing that they hate is direct and fast football. So just go for it with
3: them. But they started that way. They came at them, and then I think they realised that City had done it a little bit differently, and that's when yeah, they, they did, uh, and adjust. they managed it better. And yeah. it's much better to not to not lose, right? because it's, it's your big title rival. Um, I agree. It's good to go at them and kind of do and try and get them at the you know by the neck and throw them away. But I think it's clever management by both managers that they were cautious and looked for a chance to exploit. And there were chances created, but City closed down their transition so well that they couldn't really play the way they wanted to, so they had to maybe adapt to yeah, that Why they're... didn't
0: they bring on Sane earlier? Because he always knows how to create space just by dragging defenders away with his pace. I,
3: know, I think Sterling's but, been really good and he was Sterling's great well, at though, yeah. doing that,
0: but Sane offers you another outlet with when both of them are on the pitch. Yeah. So I never understand why Sane doesn't start matches. Yeah,
3: it's been recently, we just didn't get
1: Let's move on to a game with some actual goals in it, shall we? Manchester United, two down after 10 minutes to Newcastle. Then an amazing comeback at Old Trafford. Let's let's call it a comeback. Do call it a comeback. Is this the start of the unlikely Mourinho resurgence, Mina?
0: I don't know that he ever fell. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if it's the resurgence, but I have to say I was sort of really wanting them to win that match. Um, I, I don't. I just loved it. It was so like... One of those old school games in which you know that Man- Manchester United, when they try and it's the, the end is nearing, they'll throw everything at it. I was also happy with Mourinho because I do think that it's reached a new level of madness of how much we're discussing everything about him and whether or not he's lost the dressing room and whether or not we should side with Paul Pogba and, and, and how like he's being treated and all of this business. I was happy for him because it seemed like this was confirmation that players do are still interested in playing. They are still motivated. That Perhaps he's right when it is a question of mentality because these aren't poor players by any stretch of the imagination. And when, uh, I guess when everything was riding on it, they provided everything that's required. But do we expect them to have another miserable result? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think this is the start of very much. This is still going to be really difficult for him to get top four and for them to manage games. And it's really unusual to see that considering all the talent that they have.
1: Certainly Pogba, very impressive, kind of wrestled the game back towards the end. Reports on Friday night, Matt, that Mourinho was going to be sacked regardless of the result, turned out not to be accurate. What are you hearing about that?
2: It's an interesting one, that, because I I know the guy who wrote it who gets an awful lot right on Man United. There's no way he would have gone that strong without having a really, really sound tip-off that there was an extremely good chance that Mourinho was going to get sacked no matter what. I think, (laughs) speaking as, as trying to put myself in that reporter's shoes the worst possible outcome would be for them to go behind and actually fight back to win because it they they could have won 1-0 in a really drab way or 2-0 or whatever and you feel like a decision still could have been made but to sack him after coming back from 2-0 down is almost impossible. So I did feel for the reporter there because I was listening to it thinking that's, that's got to be the worst case scenario for that, that reporter.
1: Do you think a club ever changes its mind based? On oh, the 100%. Of them, to 100%, spite 100%, the reporters?
2: No, not to spite reporters but clubs... Change their minds on whims far more. Fans would be staggered if they knew the whims that, that clubs went on and, and what they changed their minds on. So for sure they could have changed their mind on, on the back of that third goal or even just the back of coming back to 2-all.
3: What sorts of places would a uh, Porter find out that kind of sources that they then go to that, That's
2: got to be, to go that strong, that's not an agent or a friend of a friend, that is someone at board level. That is definitely someone at board. You don't go that strong without it being someone at board level. It was really, really interesting. And I think from Mourinho's perspective, it's a real shame for him now that that result looked like a mo- it could be a moment for him in the season. And yet the momentum is taken away by an international break. And then they've got to go to Chelsea. So I think this would be a case where Mourinho would want another game as soon as possible. You want to use that momentum. You want to go straight into a game. And now everything just stops. And there will still be speculation for the next two weeks because during international weeks there's not a lot to write about or to talk about so his position and the situation will still be talked about a lot and he will almost go into that Chelsea game in the same situation of people thinking if he loses this game he'll get sacked because the momentum is lost by the break.
1: What about Newcastle JJ still winless this season were there any signs of improvement for them?
3: Sort of I mean they were two goals up within the first 15 minutes Generally against bigger teams, they are very defensive, either a 5-4-1 or a 4-5-1, and then they block low and they make sure you can't score against them and try and hit in the counter-attack. They've got very fast, wide players. But they started really on the front foot, really going for it. The first goal was Kennedy, I think, on the left foot. Poor defending by Ashley Young. Should have pushed him out wide to let him come inside and score. Then the second goal, uh, strike, the striker Muto, was able to get a lot of touches on the ball and turn inside the box. Really, really bad defending again. People not tight enough. The space between the lines were too big. There was too much space to move into for Man United. And uh, Newcastle had deserved to have their lead. And then after 2-0 up, they sort of dropped back a bit. It coincided with... Um, well, Mourinho obviously hauled off Eric Baye about 19 minutes in. And I think... He he seemed panicked and a bit nervous, but it comes back to that thing he was saying last week with not having quality of being able to play out from the back. And McTominay is clearly better at that, making four passes. But Baye's not. He can't... He doesn't seem very confident... Um, no wonder being slagged off all the time But playing these passes forward To try and link the play Because I think Mourinho knew It must have known That Newcastle would drop deep And then Man United would have all the possession It's something stupid like 73% or, of the ball they had With all that you know, with possession of the ball There's no need to have central defenders really Because you can defend against the wide attacks With your fullbacks and, and things like that I don't know what, what Newcastle can do more Than what they did And the United fought back really well In that second half
2: Newcastle should have had a penalty yeah, it, it should have been a penalty for the chance to go 3 0.
3: Just for half time, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Just going back to Man United, they're defending. How bad was Ashley Young? Oh, my word. He had, I mean, he, he was at fault for the goals and then he, he almost gave the penalty away. Had a car crash game, just seems to have been overlooked slightly.
1: Yes, perhaps that experiment is coming to an end now. What about Arsenal, Mina? We were perhaps a little bit premature last week saying uh, it looked like they were turning a corner after their win, but it all clicked for them in a 5-1 win at Fulham. Nine in a row now. Are you beginning to believe?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Fulham are just such tough opponents, you know. <laughs> They've kept, like, how many clean sheets were in none? many. How many have <laughs> they conceded... 21 goals in eight games. I mean, if this wasn't an easy Arsenal win, then we'd be talking about something. Everyone keeps talking about the fact that Arsenal have done like this tremendous thing over nine matches. And then I, I was like, I'm, I have to see who it is that they've played. Newcastle Gosh. United, Cardiff, West Ham when they were, well, they're still relatively poor. Rolskler, Everton, Brentford, Watford I'll give you, maybe. Yeah. Carabag. I mean, they're not really like, you know, you look at Liverpool's run and you think, wow, that's tremendous that they've reached this amazing level considering who they've faced. You know, Paris Saint-Germain, Manchester City, like Chelsea. This is something that I would expect to see from Arsenal. Again, I do think that I I, am not trying to say that they're terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Although that's how it's coming out. (laughs) Yeah. I just think that let's not get carried away. Like everyone's like, oh, well, after this 5-1, you know, they're surely going to make top four based on what exactly? The, on the goal. Fi- the
1: goal was so exciting. Surely. It took two
0: passes to get the ball into the back of the net. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it. It's that easy to get, you know, Monreal into a mistake. No one's there to stop anyone. You know, no midfield tracking back or, or a defence understanding how to stop Sherlock, And that's it. The goal is in.
1: Not that goal, Mina. The, the Aaron Ramsey goal. Oh,
0: I just the want to Aaron stand Ramsey. stand up for Arsenal. The
2: difference is this. They barely won an away game last season. If they'd have taken the lead at Fulham last season and let Fulham equalise on the stroke of halftime, they would have lost that game. No matter how bad you think Fulham are, they lost at ridiculous places last season. They'd have just crumbled. There was no team spirit. There was no direction. There was no bold decisions being made. So they are making good progress. Despite who they're playing... They are making good progress. Okay,
0: I'll agree with you. That you're right. You know, comparing them to the side that they were last season, which they just looked like well, they the didn't side care. That they've
2: been for a few seasons.
0: Yeah, this is one that's got a lot of dynamic energy, yeah. a lot of unity, a lot of interest, and I love Lacazette like and Aubameyang. I think that they've got this terrific understanding, and sometimes they're just creating goals out of nothing. Sometimes it's a, a collective goal, like such as the one by Aaron Ramsey. There is that confidence as well that I didn't see that they had over the few years. And I and there's one thing about Unai Emery is I do think he's a very good coach. I enjoyed his Sevilla size. I enjoyed his Valencia size. I think he's very good also on an attacking level and usually on a defensive level. Perhaps this is just a, a year where he'll observe everything and then pull it together. It's not like he's got these tremendous centre-backs that he can work with too much. But there isn't much of a defensive unity. And for me, I still think that defence wins you championships or at least gets you far. If they fix that... Then I can be like, yeah, they're progressing. The,
2: the other thing about this nine-game run is, despite who they forget who they've played, just forget about it. If you're a new manager or a new coach, the first thing you need to get is your players believing in what you want them to do. You will do that with results, no matter who you play. So the Arsenal players won't be looking particularly thinking, "Oh, we haven't played anyone." They'll just be thinking, "This guy knows what he's doing. We're winning games again." We're scoring Harlem Globetrotter goals again. The fans are chanting, we've got our Arsenal back again. They will now invest in him. So they will now go back into training after the international break thinking that Unai Emre knows exactly what he's doing and what he's telling them to do is working. And at this stage in his coaching career at Arsenal, that is so important. I mean, Sari's now got that at Chelsea. And if you want to make change and you want to carry the players with you, you, you just need those results, whoever it's against. So that nine-game winning run, I actually think, is so important for them going forward.
0: What about forward. Lolliglum into a false sense of security? And then when they do face the side, that's a little bit better.
2: But I, I think the fact that they had those dodgy early results against Man City and Chelsea will stop that. And there'll be enough people like you mm-hmm. around them <laughs> telling them that they're still not yeah. good enough and be careful. But I can't see them thinking they're going to be world beaters. But I think the players will be thinking they've got a coach who can take them places. Whether it can or not is almost irrelevant at the moment. It's they just the need that confidence in them, yeah. Yeah, I
0: know, I agree with
1: that. What about Aaron Ramsey? Finished that uh, Harlem Globetrotters goal, as you said, Matt, but uh, seemingly not going to get a new contract. Are Arsenal right to let his deal lapse?
2: No, it's more Arsenal mismanagement to let it get to this situation and to get themselves in a situation where they're letting Aaron Ramsey's contract run down whilst agreeing a contract with Mesut Ozil that makes their negotiations with Aaron Ramsey almost impossible because he will obviously compare himself against him and value himself accordingly and Aaron Ramsey, I just thought that goal was brilliant because it, it felt like a bit of a two fingers up at the club as much as anything His um, celebration
3: was a bit like that wasn't Yeah, it? It just
2: like. the look on his face, just, just something there kind of saying, okay yes. you know, I loved that goal though It's You're, one
3: of the best things I've ever seen like yeah. the Goals one of the best things I, I just Everything everything's perfect
2: I'm going to struggle to beat that for goal of the season, I think, this
1: season. It wasn't wasn't a typical intricate Arsenal goal, was it? There was a real purpose to it. The ball was moving forward and it didn't really touch the floor. That's what's nice
0: about Arsenal is they're not trying to get... It's no longer about the perfect goal. It's about, let's just score. Let's have fun. And that's what I love seeing about that.
3: They didn't all charge forwards. You notice that? (laughs) There wasn't like... 400 players certainly turning up in the Fulham box with the time he put it in.
1: That is cheating. Carefully managed, yeah. (laughs) Not allowed 400 players. (laughs) Chelsea were this week's winners of the standard issue win which may as well have been simulated on FIFA 3-0 at Southampton. Good week for Ross Barkley, Matt. Mm. Do you think there's any chance of him becoming a regular in this Chelsea team? Good
2: season for Ross Barkley so far, I would argue. Albeit not starting every game, playing a big part in every game. Even when he's on the bench, he's coming off the bench and and making an impact. Sari has taken a real shine to him. He obviously got his England call, which I th- recall, which I think was deserved. He spoke really interestingly last week. I was at the press conference of the Europa League game where he was talking about this is the first time in his career he's been coached. He made his Everton debut at 17. I think this happens to a lot of young players. And once you get put in that first team, as good as it can be for you, he was saying you almost stop getting coached because all of a sudden it becomes about the results. You're in a group where the managers then got to... You know, he's looking at other things. You're playing with experienced internationals who don't need that level of coaching. He can't take the time with you. So he he feels probably like he's gone seven years without really being properly coached. I've Unless Everton fans
1: you. Who feel he didn't really progress while he was there.
2: Yeah, and he probably left Everton the same player that he started as, as a 17-year-old with all the natural talent, but he'd actually lost some of his confidence because the more expectation was being put on his shoulders. And he is maturing into plays, becoming an intelligent player. He not only scored and assisted against Southampton, I think he'd won the most duels of any player on the pitch. Definitely I think his pass completion player. was the best of any Chelsea player. His
3: positioning was excellent. He yeah. kept anticipating these forward passes and nipping in and, yeah.
2: and stealing them away. Yeah, um, He's strong as well. I mean, yeah. his physique he used to be can you say this? He just used to have a massive arse. <laughs> he used to be one of those players with a massive arse and he's slimmed down a touch. He looks physically great and he's strong upper body strong i've always been a fan and i I just think he's going to prove a lot of people wrong this season
0: can i just ask a question do you think the fact that players such as ross barkley not perhaps being taught for a while now because he's reached this level where people are expecting him to know all these things already is one of the reasons behind sometimes the problems we have with the national team
2: yeah for sure i mean i think theo walcott was the same i don't think he got coached for years I, at Arsenal. Alex
3: Oxlade-Chamberlain was the same at Arsenal. I think Aaron Ramsey, you can see, if he'd been under a different management, maybe a different kind of player. Right? Yeah,
2: I, I think well, so it's a real...
0: Guardiola teaching... I don't know whether... I'm, I'm hallucinating, but it was about <laughs> Kyle Walker and not receiving the ball with the inside of his foot. It's a
3: lot of positioning. and, so a, yeah, and Raheem, Sterling. Yeah. Raheem Sterling. It's Raheem Sterling. It's Raheem. He does okay. it, so Guardiola goes through every stage of the pitch so you know exactly where you should be and everyone should understand it so you can swap. But it's all to do with body positioning so you can receive it in a certain... Wait, in a way, Seth Cesc- yeah. Fabregas came out, I think, during the week, and he said, similar to what um, Ross Barkley was saying, is that he wished he'd had Sarri as a manager earlier because he's learning so much more about his position now. And that's coming from Fabregas, who's won the World Cup and played in. Yeah, some I think, think
2: Fabregas was talking about he's feeling it again. So, what I gleaned from that was he probably, because I mean, he worked under Guardiola at Barcelona. Yeah. I think probably under Conte and Jose, he would argue that that stopped a little bit of, of being able to express himself and having the coach and then it's it's back again. Mm -hmm. But they're all talking about it at at Chelsea or the coaching.
1: On the Southampton side, Mark Hughes said afterwards, typical afternoon, we were too passive. Fighting talk, Mark, fighting talk. Another win for Tottenham this weekend. Uh, They've not been scintillating this year, but you've been impressed with Pochettino, Matt?
2: Best ever Tottenham start to Premier League season. I mean, they didn't have a lot to beat because they're notorious slow starters, as I think you may have said on the show a few times. Um, But... They're flying under the radar because they're not playing that well. They've got issues. They're not kind of sweeping teams aside. They, they, they made it hard work for themselves against Cardiff, the pub team, as JJ has labeled them. <laughs> um, but I stand by it. I, I, was, I, I was impressed by them. I, I, I they thought had they were a little. To score? They, they, they were okay. Josh Murphy was good. Junior Hoyler was, was dangerous. But I actually think Pochettino's working miracles. I mean, he's got five bona fide, what you could say, first team players out at the moment. He's had no players come in. They've got the stadium issue. The pitch at Wembley is now pudding in the middle of the, the park because of the boxing that was on.
1: NFL coming this weekend as well. Which yeah, is quite. Help. I
2: mean, he and they're two points off the top, I think it is. I think he's working miracles again. And there's the Manu job around. There's Real Madrid struggling. Pochettino's just doing a fantastic job just keeping them going up. It's become, because of the problems he's got, he can't, I don't think... I don't think they're going to sweep play brilliant football for a while. I don't think they're going to sweep side to side. It's about keeping them going. He keeps talking about now. It's the game by game, the day by day. They're having to become more pragmatic. But he's getting them over the line all the time at the moment. It's really impressive.
3: That Joe Rolls tackle is one of the funniest files I've ever seen in the Premier League. I'm glad Lucas Moura didn't get injured by it. You know the one I'm talking yes, about, sorry, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, talk us yeah. through
1: it. Is it uh, the
3: cleverest <laughs> moment of the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> it should be. It's the
1: naughtiest
2: moment it's of the weekend. It's
3: so funny though. Like it's not. It's only funny because he didn't funny, get. He got... didn't smash him into a million bits. But Lucas Moura puts the ball around one side of him, and with about ten yard head start, goes around. Rolls and then rolls. Says lunges. At... Do you remember in the old FIFA games? You could push. I remember on play on the PC. You could push Q, and it was like a deliberate foul button, and it was always very funny to do. And so he lunges in to, t- to wipe him off, out, out off the ball, cleans him out, and, uh, and then Cardiff players are, are throwing the referee going, that's it's not a free kick even. <laughs> straight red. Neil Warnock came out after and said, oh, there's too many busy people around the referee. That made it a red. You had to hold Neil Warnock to account after the game as well, Matt.
2: Okay, well, are we going to beat
3: me or do I need to We're, change we'll, the we'll word? Make, we'll make a judge in the edit.
2: Okay, so it's going to be my favourite press conference of the season, bar none, where I got to ask Neil Warnock afterwards, did you really call Harry Kane a d-? So he shouted it at him because Harry Kane went flying in and uh, Neil Warnock swore a lot and then paused and just shouted <laughs> at Harry Kane, which <laughs> you've got to love it. You've absolutely yeah. got to love it. He to—he he didn't really properly deny it. He just tried to make a joke of it and said, well, I've, I think you'll find I'm more likely to use the word twit. But it was definitely the other one.
0: Can we just praise Sean Morrison's line? theories? Yeah, that amazing. was stunning. And Toby, and Toby Alderweireld's performance in general from a defensive level.
1: Shout out to the defenders, as always. What about Watford? 4-0 home defeat to Bournemouth. Do you get a kind of wheels coming off feel from them? They haven't won in the Premier League for a month now.
3: I don't know if they've, the wheels have come off. I think they got done in by a team who's very good at the counter-attack. I and mean, They might have come in and underestimating them a little bit. Uh, got hit by pace and some decent chances that were created. And uh, I mean, they're down to 10 men, weren't they? They had a penalty go against them. Maybe there's a bit of um, their wobbling now that they were quite high up in the table and that you might feel the weight of expectation but I would imagine they'll be exactly the same as I thought they would be a few weeks ago they'll middle out to around about 7th or 8th or something
2: Can I ask a question? Yes For the whole team AFC Telegraph to answer Eddie Howe, should he be in the conversation for Man United?
3: No I think um, he'd be perfect if they had been languishing around say they finished 13th, 14th or something a couple seasons in a row then he's the guy to come in but I wonder whether Man United Yeah Because th- if you come into it now I wonder what you need To to get that dressing room to work If there's egos in there That's one of the problems Like Zidane walks into The Real Madrid um, dressing room And sure enough It's Zidane So I'll listen to him But I, I don't know what it is They would need I think he would be able To set them up It would take him some time maybe I don't know how good he is At setting it up quickly but he didn't really do so well when he went away from Bournemouth before he came back. He only had that one real experience.
2: I actually agree with you. I just think it's a question. I just think it's... He's not even getting a single mention. And I think the only, my only reservation would be the same as JJ's, that he probably wouldn't command the dressing room. But I think on a tactical level, and I think on how he wants to play football and his philosophy... Would actually be perfect for United. Yeah, I've thought this before in as well. The
0: league, but what about him trying to do? I mean, this is the thing with managing a club like Bournemouth and then going into something like United. Firstly, you've got the whole fan, the, the pressure of it, the ability to manage the team and evolve it when it's playing in European ties. Like the shape has to change, the tactics have to change when you're facing continental teams. And he's still developing anyhow, and he's doing really well. I just feel like step by step. Rather than have it all come together yeah. on United.
2: What's his next job?
0: Back it to It should Burnley. be Tottenham. Yeah.
2: Tottenham's, so but probably, they're in the Champions probably League. Something like Everton or something like
1: that, isn't
0: it? Yeah, but it's again, it's just slightly less pressure than yeah. United. But yeah. something big, I do think that he deserves something big. I think you should take Pochettino to United and then give Tottenham job to Eddie Howe and just see how that builds.
1: Let's take a trip down to the Championship now. Your Aston Villa side, Matt Steve Bruce gone. Looks like Thierry Henry and John Terry in the dream ticket, but a two-one defeat to Millwall on Saturday. <laughs> Certainly a big job for whoever gets it at Villa. How do you feel about the potential Henry Terry dream team?
2: I like it being called my Aston Villa. Yeah, like I am the owner of Aston Villa. Can we continue that? Yeah, absolutely. My yeah, yeah. Aston Villa. One day. My football club.
3: We keep saying it. Eventually, it'll just become, just become
2: a thing. Yeah, yeah. my my mm. Villa. I'm excited by it. I like it. Lots of people have been really cynical about it and like, oh, well, Thierry Henry will clearly be rubbish and it's a stupid thing and it'll all go horribly wrong. And no one's given me a good reason why so far. He's He's been working with Belgium now for about 18 months. He's not just been sitting in a TV studio. He's got all his badges. He's a
1: clever studious guy. It's a slightly silly thing to say, but is it not a little bit? Because he's really pretty. There's a sense that like you, you don't quite believe that anyone that beautiful... Is going to have the sort of hard as nails championship uh, winning attitude.
0: I fought this all my life.
3: Really? Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, you start with me.
2: Best looking Premier League managers, that brings us on to. I haven't thought about his looks. I've wondered whether it's to do with some of his punditry because he doesn't really say anything of use Although he, he gave one of the most interesting. See, I've argued this as well. A lot of his punditry wasn't great. Mm. But he also gave one of the most fascinating pieces of analysis I've ever seen when he deconstructed how Pep used to set up Barcelona yeah. on one Monday night football.
3: And I wonder whether he doesn't give away so that many tricks. Kind
0: of well,
3: yeah, but yeah. I mean, surely
2: most of his, a lot of his skill of being a manager will come from first-hand experience. I mean, he's worked in amazing teams under amazing managers. He's now been part of a, a very successful World Cup setup with Belgium. I think he's got. He's actually had great experience to go into a first job. Villa in the championship, but he's, it's not sticking him in at Man United or anything. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. He, seems yeah.
3: that he comes out with statements that I think, while he's saying them, he thinks they're going to be these grand yeah. philosophical things that the players go, oh, yeah, that's right. But actually it comes out and you go, yeah, I know I should pass it there. <laughs> and I wonder whether that's what it, a bit of it is. Let's take Le Shuttle
1: metaphorical to Europe now and have a little chat about some of the struggles of the bigger teams, Mina. Real Madrid, three Champions Leagues in a row. Where are they now? Fourth in La Liga. Uh, Sevilla top in Spain. What's going on over there?
0: Yeah, this is a little bit strange, isn't it? Um, With Real Madrid, I just feel like, obviously they haven't gone four games without scoring goals since, I think it's 1985. They have issues, but a lot of people are just sort of saying, oh, okay, well, Lopetegui potentially could go and he's not doing a great job. We have to note that, firstly, they are without Cristiano Ronaldo, and that is a huge We saw their start to the season last year when he was suspended. It was problematic for them. The problem with having Gareth Bale lead the line is that we know he's injury prone. And twice now he's come off and stated he has an injury. And most likely they've lost him for another few weeks. So this is a problem. Karim Benzema is used to being a facilitator. So now asking him to be the number nine is huge. Because he's just a bit like, uh, who am I providing for? I forgot what it's like to be a guy who actually just goes for the goal on my own. But also he came off with an injury. Then we have Isco, who's had appendicitis and out. Marcelo is out. Danny Carvajal is out. Luka Modric is suffering after the World Cup. Cruz is suffering after the World Cup. And also because he's too busy throwing his teammates under the bus. did much uh, in the World Cup either, did he? Yeah, that's what I mean. And still has, you know, to be like, oh, Leroy Sané, Mesut Ozil. Anyway... Um, so, I just feel like they don't really have a team at the moment. And all of this is being constructed under a new manager. They were very good at the start of the season. So, I don't think we should get carried away when they did have a, a, a fuller team. They did well. So, and I'm sure they'll get back to it. I just think, you know, Marco Asensio needs to live up to the potential. They're just having teething problems and they need their full squad back. Varane is another who's having a few World Cup hangovers. And I think they'll be back. I don't think Barcelona have been too shockingly beautiful either. And that a lot of that has to do with their change in formation because they played a 4-4-2 last year to have more defensive cover and more balance in midfield. But they're trying to play four-three-three to suit sort of Usman Dembele, who started the season well but isn't perhaps the most defensive human being ever alive. And on that level, they're missing something and they're making silly mistakes at the back. But uh, And this is where Atletico and Sevilla, who don't need to be amazing, can exploit their chances and go top.
1: Well, a bit of a mess in Spain then. Very unexpected. Surely things will be calmer in Germany. No.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> six Bundesliga in a row for the mighty Bayern Munich. But they are six in the league. Yeah. What's happening there, Mina?
0: Well, six, but they're only four points behind. Come on. Uh, Borussia Dortmund. We'll buy
1: into this narrative. <laughs> they lost 3-0 at home at the weekend, didn't
2: they? Yeah,
0: to uh, Mönchengladbach. And they lost before that to Haute Berlin last weekend.
3: Great, I love when this happens.
0: Yeah, I know. Everyone's like, finally, is there a, is there a Bundesliga worth watching this season? Ah, uh, it is Dortmund under Lucien Favre. But anyway... <laughs> Apparently, there's dressing room discontent. They don't like the fact that there's this uh, constant rotation policy that uh, Kovac is going with. But at the same time, players who think they've done really well in one of the games aren't, you know, getting a chance to do it again. So what is this rotation policy? Is it based on meritocracy? Why are we not playing if we're doing a good job? Why are you still counting on Renato Sanchez? Is he potentially the best player that you have or you just believe in him? So there's a lot of questions being asked. Now, for me, buy-in is a huge problem in general and it isn't just about the coach I think the fact that they forced Carlo Ancelotti to leave at the time there's a lot in there that you know players were unhappy with Carlo Ancelotti players are now unhappy with Niko Kovac you know it seems like it's quite a poisonous dressing room It, it just this is for me I'm obviously like what I'm seeing from outside it just seems like firstly you've got Ribéry and Robin who are a little bit old now There's not that much youth going in. You know, it's a very thin squad and you need competition. Lewandowski is constantly saying, I want to leave, I want to leave. But then he's been, you know, agreed to stay this season because he thinks Niko Kovac can get the best out of him. There's all these issues going on. And I think that either the presidents just start backing the coaches and throwing their weight around a little bit like they need to in PSG as well. Or you just sack this coach and bring in hankers again for the millionth time.
1: Could happen, could happen. Okay, then in Italy there surely must be some stability there. Yep, Juventus are indeed riding high and we yes, don't have TV. any time to discuss them. Sorry, Mina, we've got to, we've got to move on to international football. Uh, it is the international break beginning this Monday. Uh, which international football match in the next couple of weeks are you all looking forward to most? JJ Ball.
3: England-Croatia will be interesting if not to see just how completely levels, miles away Croatia are from England, and then Spain will probably do the same thing to them as well. Scotland-Israel is coming up. That's a big one. Yeah, they'll be on. Not excited? No, not really. I mean, I think Scotland, we, should be fine with it. We're playing Portugal in a friendly as well. Um, I don't know what we possibly will learn from that. Other than that, they're much better than the players that Scotland have. It'd be interesting to see how McLeish approaches the Israel game because we did well against Albania, and a win against Israel could... You know, help with however this Nations League thing actually works. And he's still trying to work out what players fit where. And he's changed quite a lot of the squad. So it's, that's interesting, I suppose.
1: You've got to read Alistair Tweedale's explainer for the Nation League if you're still struggling with it, JJ. Mina, give us something to be excited about in the international break.
0: Poland versus Italy. Oh, OK. Only because there's this new player in Genoa who is Polish and his dream is to play alongside Lewandowski and all Manchester's going forward. His name is Piontek. And he's just scored a ga- uh, scored a goal in each game that he's played in. Serie A. it's been amazing. He's now leveled the the, the record set by Christian Vieri and he's just arrived. you know, nobody believed in him. It was three million. everyone's like, "Okay, what's this guy going to do?" And he's just starting to score a goal a game. And he's in terrific form, so I want to see how he performs against Italy, but obviously, uh, I want to see Croatia England.
1: Yes, that's. That's been mentioned. Matt. <laughs> well, I'm
2: going to Croatia. So oh. I've got to say Croatia. Oh. Nice. Well, I've been to Croatia before. I'm going to Rika which is where the game has been played, which I've never been to before.
3: Behind closed doors. Behind well. closed
2: doors. Yeah. So that that is really interesting. Are you gonna get in? I've never yes, the press are allowed in and you wear a shirt? FA officials. <laughs> and that's about it.
3: I love when they play them behind closed doors when you can hear what the players are shouting. Well, I've
2: never been to a behind it's closed doors game, so I'm really interested. I'm assuming that None of the players have really played in behind-closed-doors games. So we'll be able to hear the coaches, should be able to hear all the players swearing at each other. Yeah, I think it'll be great.
1: Great. An international week full of swearing.
3: You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts.
1: JJ. It's time for the cleverest moment of the weekend. Please give it to me immediately.
3: Well, clearly it was the goal that Arsenal scored that Ramsey put in with his back heel. But um, we're going to do something else instead. Gilfie Sigurdsson's wonder strike. Yes. Oh. What a goal. What uh, it's a against goal. Leicester. So um, I think are, uh, well, there's one all at a time. Gilfie Sigurdsson gets the ball with his back to goal, pretends to pass. Madison gets completely done by him. A Cruyff turn and then he just punts it top corner. It hits it like a free kick. He's amazing, Sigurdsson. He doesn't get anywhere near the um praise that I think he should. He's playing as a ten for Everton now. And uh from there he keeps scoring goals at right the box, he keeps finding all these passes, he creates so many chances. Does nothing without the ball. No.
2: Literally does nothing, just strolls about without the ball.
3: Yeah, but then he does that. I know.
0: <laughs> like you were starting to like defensive play. <laughs> yeah,
2: love it, love it. No, I'm just copying other managers' complaints. To be quite honest with you, that's <laughs> why
3: he never really got. That he gets the role because he why, doesn't do enough.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's why it never worked for him at Tottenham, particularly when Pochettino came in, and it, he it's why it, in the left as well. Yeah, is, he just can't do it. So he won't. They won't have him through the middle because he won't do anything without the ball.
1: Finally, a wonderful video I enjoyed this weekend, which we'll put out on the Telegraph Football Twitter account. Uh, a defender in the Norwegian third tier hit a clearance, and it hit the power lines that were next to the pitch. All sorts of fireworks, quite frightening, very exciting. Please tell me, AFC Telegraph teammates, the footballer who made you feel most fearful, the most erratic player you've ever seen. Matt?
2: Yeah, I was struggling with this one, because I've seen a lot of erratic footballers when I used to have a season ticket at Aston Villa. (laughs) But I didn't want to just say a Villa player. Andre Santos, the Brazilian left-back that... Arsenal bought in that summer where they just did like a supermarket sweep at the end of the window. I think it was the one where Yossi, Benayoun, Arteta all came in at the same time and this guy came in and he was just the worst player ever. I'm trying to think of an analogy of when you do a go to the supermarket and something accidentally falls in your basket that's really horrible and rubbish and you just leave it in the cupboard forever and that was basically Andre Santos. I think he moved clubs and eventually got beaten up by his own fans. But that was to do with his poor form as well. He was—he really was a car crash. I mean, he every time he got the ball, something bad happened. Just appalling footballer, but quite funny. Mina's lost it to my leg.
3: (laughs) But he was like a sort of Basil Fawlty thing, or just Inspector Clouseau, just that kind of thing—just things falling around him. He'd walk walk into a a kitchen and pick up a a glass, and the the cupboards would fall (laughs) off the wall. Something like that. Andy Sanders was like. The same as Matt so I've seen so many Aberdeen players that you, you don't want to be near them in case you know the, the cupboards fall off the walls but I remember there was a boy who played for Celtic well he plays for Hibs now called Effie Ambrose I don't know if you've ever seen him play yeah, him. he is fantastic something's always going to happen when he's on the ball it's great Titus <laughs> Bramble was a good one as well for years in the Premier League
1: yes error prone Mina who have you got?
2: <laughs> no, there's, no, there's n-
1: nothing coming out of Mina except for <laughs> oh, laughter at Andre Santos <laughs> and cupboards
0: yeah, I, I have this ability to just imagine things and then I can't stop laughing. I, do, I guess I'm a football capitalist, so I've only ever watched really good plays. <laughs> That's probably why I'm so negative about all well, so many of them. You
3: mean someone like Leon Mike's never played for Juventus before? <laughs>
0: I mean, Bentner was as bad as it got. Mm. And, and that was tragic, but it wasn't to the extent why cupboards were warning off. So, I you know what, I I used to always be struck by Royston Trente. Because I used to think technically he had, he was gifted. Like There's a lot that he could do on a technical level, but for some reason he just lacked the application, that ability to make the right choices and do something interesting with all the talent that he had.
1: So he could put the jars into the cupboard, but he was putting them into the <laughs> <Yeah>. wrong cupboard.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's definitely not that, yeah. I need to watch Aberdeen more. It's
1: a lesson for us all. That's your lot for this week's Audio Football Club. Get in touch with me before then, if you like, on Twitter. It's at Tom, with an H, Gibbs. Subscribe to the podcast for looking for Telegraph Audio Football Club. And if you leave an amusing review on Apple Podcasts, I will absolutely read it out next time. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons, and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. It's time. We are ready. Let's reveal this week's Mystery Player. Yes
2: that's right, I'm Franny Benali, former Southampton Defender and you've been listening to the Telegraph
1: Audio Football Club.